0: Wonderful. I'd love you to keep that open, page uh, 990. We're getting to know it well. We even know the page number off by heart now. Some of us. Uh, we're in this series. If you're uh, visiting or you've been away uh, for a little bit over the last few weeks, we're we're camping in this story that uh, we've just heard read beautifully by by Judith. A story that Jesus told, and uh, as we camp in it, we're just looking week by week at different elements of what the Lord wants to reveal to us, so that. Um, the story isn't just information that we hold in our head, that by the Spirit's uh, revelation, it becomes transformative in our spirit, in our heart, so that we can live changed lives, empowered by him. Uh, today we're looking at forgiveness. So as we do that, let's pray. Father, we uh, have recognized and marked we live in a world racked with pain and dislocation, with injustice, warfare. We realize the hurt and the pain that there exists in our lives. We recognize that each and every one of us on the receiving end of pain. And we ask that you teach us through this story, through what you uh, play out in these characters here. You teach us what it is to forgive and to release. You teach us what it is to live free. Speak to us now by your spirit, Father. Go deep to our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. We've looked at um, uh, the story that Jesus tells from the perspective of of a younger son we've looked at the perspective of the older son we'll come back to that uh, in a week or so I want to look at the father uh, this morning and these notes here a little root map to um, my talk this morning three headings you can see and then a kind of yes but how a uh, bit at the end the father's forgiveness is proactive the father's forgiveness is sacrificial the father's forgiveness releases life and I want to look at each of those in turn and then one or two practical things at the end, if I may. Verse 20. While he, the younger son, was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father's forgiveness is proactive. He makes the move most natural reaction for the father would have been, I suggest, when he sees the son hoving into view in the distance, but now what does he want? (laughs) Effectively called me, wished I was dead, he's taken all my property and wasted it, and now he's coming back wanting more, no doubt. Run out of money, he's probably asking for another loan. And the natural reaction of the father, just the natural reaction would be, you know, to make him just let him steward it. I'll wait on my sort of veranda here. And he can walk all the way. He can make that slow march. My eye on I make him walk. Hear what he's got to say. Better be good. Adrian Plas has uh, offered a rewriting of this story. Uh, the popular Christian writer. He's, he's rewritten the account of Jesus. When he was still a long way off, his father seeth him, and runneth to him, and fall upon him, and pulleth his hair, and smacketh his backside, and clumpeth him on the ear, and saith, Where the devil do you think you've been, scumbag? And the prodigal replieth, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thine hired servants. And the father saith, Too right I'll make you one of my hired servants. Master, dirty, stop-out, inheritance-spending, stinker-pinker prodigal. I suppose thou believest thou can waltz back in here without so much as a by thine leave and conneth me with thine dramatic little speech. Thinkest thou that this is little house on the prairie? Or maybe thou reckonest that I was born yesterday. Oh no. And so he goes on. And we laugh out of recognition, I guess. There's there's something in us, something in me still. I've been kind of living in this story and yet still there are layer upon layer upon layer that I recognize of that false depiction of the father according to the story that Jesus tells. The father runs to him. He doesn't want to hear the speech that we know the son was rehearsed. He doesn't wait for that. He gives him forgiveness, offers him forgiveness before he says a word. Forgiveness is proactive. Uh, Those two references there in Mark and in Matthew are interesting because they both appear to say much the same thing. If you come to the altar or you come to worship, you come to a, a moment of reflection, and there you remember that you're out of relationship, you, you're, you're not at peace with someone, then, then leave your gift at the altar and reconcile. But it's interesting, in, in Mark, the Mark one, it's if you have anything against anyone, and in Matthew, if it, it's if anyone has anything against you, then You go. The initiative is always ours. If it's our offense or their offense, you go and make peace, forgive, reconcile. The Father's forgiveness is proactive, firstly. Secondly, the Father's forgiveness is sacrificial. The Father's forgiveness in this story is sacrificial. And I say that because the son in the story that Jesus tells, this younger son, has wronged his father on a number of levels. But l- let's look t- chiefly at two. And again, we've um, rehearsed this in earlier weeks. Uh, and by the way, you can pick up the, uh, the talks. They're on the website under the download drop-down tab, right-hand top corner of the homepage. And uh, you can click on them there and, uh, and catch up if you've, if you've missed any. But we've seen how the younger son has wronged the father socially. we we find this a little bit difficult to relate to in our kind of individualistic society here, but in the kind of uh, strong sense of community and family that there was in Jesus' day. For the son to do what he's done to the father was social outrage. He's brought huge shame on the father. He's, He's wronged the father to an extraordinary degree socially and culturally. But he's also... Wronged the father financially. He's taken the father's estate and squandered it. So he's hugely in the debt of his father. And it's interesting to note in this, uh, uh, you know, speech that the father, uh, that the son rather, rehearses. It's interesting to note that the son recognizes that, and he wants to make this speech is all about how I can make restitution on the debt that I owe. I know that I've. I know that I've injured my father socially, so I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the son recognizes that he's, he's uh, wronged the father financially. He's indebted to the father financially. He's wasted his estate. So in order to pay back that wrong, make me like one of your hired servants. I'll work my way back into your good books. Here's where we begin to see that forgiveness is sacrificial because the father won't have any of it, even though it's his right to claim. You see, the father could have made the son come to him and grovel in the dirt. Oh, father, I've sinned, I'm not worthy. But the father, quite again, against all social culture, uh, cultural norm, he runs. You have to pull up. His robes, bare his legs, unheard of. But he's the one who runs to the sun. He he will disgrace himself even further. He won't allow the sun to disgrace himself, and he puts on a robe. Whose robe? It's not the sun's robe. That's been rags and tatters. The uh, the picture of um. We, I think we got it on the. I don't know if we got it. Oh, we haven't got the Rembrandt. No. Okay. Another time. Rembrandt painted this uh, portrait of the, of the return of the prodigal, and the son there you see, the rags and the tatters. It's, it's not his robe. It's the father's robe that he places upon him, and a ring that he puts on his finger, a sign of authority, of belonging, of significance. Sandals on his feet. Slaves in the household did not wear sandals. One of the ways in which you could mark the difference between a son and a slave within an extended household was the son. And, the, and the, f- the, the family members wore shoes. But the slaves, the hired men, even though they were you know, well-dressed and well-to-do, many of them, it wasn't sort of penury and, 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 and misery. They were well looked after, but they didn't wear shoes. So to wear shoes is a sign of belonging. It's a sign of, uh, of status. And the father gives that to the son, even though he doesn't deserve it. And quick. I mean you think of the reflection you can do just on that word quick not if you know if in a month's time you've still been good, maybe. Quick a feast, the fattened calf will celebrate. The sacrifice of the father who will not let the son pay his debts. It's effectively the father saying, I'll take the debt, I'll take the hit. I'll pay the price. I'll say just uh, as an aside, we ought to be careful when we look at Scripture to interpret Scripture as it's intended to be. This is not a, Jesus isn't telling this parable as a sort of parable on parenting. I'm I'm not suggesting that we necessarily treat our children in the way that the father appears to treat his son here, if, if they have, uh, if there are issues that need to be shaped and disciplined, then we need to work as parents on that. But, but this isn't a parable on parenting. This is a parable about the principles of the kingdom, and here we're looking at the principles of forgiveness. The father's forgiveness is sacrificial. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But thirdly, the father's forgiveness releases life. Look in verse 24. This declaration of the father. Bring, Verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he says to his other son, verse 32, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. Not Not literally, not physically, obviously, but relationally and socially. He was outcast. He was gone. He was lost from view. And in this act of forgiveness, he's brought to new life. We, we recognize him as a son again. And we celebrate that. We release him into it. The father's forgiveness brings and releases life. Life in both parties. Life to all involved. So here's the thing that you and I, I guess I, wrestle with. Hasn't the father let the son off the hook? Isn't it just it's kind of cheap? They know there's been a cost. But the point is that if we refuse to forgive, if we are incapable of forgiving, then actually we are the ones still ensnared. As we refuse to let go of the past and hold on to it, actually it begins to hold on to us and begins to grow toxic as the grudges and the resentments are nurse and exaggerated and assume a kind of caricatured proportion in our minds around and round and round and as we refuse to let them go in a sacrificial act of forgiveness they actually that that act holds on us and poisons us so let's unpack this forgiveness uh, you know how does this work this is the, the yes but how let's just look at the anatomy of Forgiveness, if you like. To understand this, that when someone has wronged us in some way, I- in whatever way it is, maybe they've, they've taken some money off us, or they've besmirched our name, or they've robbed us of, of happiness, or they've abused trust. When someone has wronged us, they've, they've taken from us in some way. They've robbed us in some way. Either literally or metaphorically. But there is a debt. And always that debt is to be paid. Either by you or by them. Either if we've been wronged, we, we find some way of absorbing the pain, the debt, or we make the person pay in some way. But either way, When we're wronged, there's a debt that has to be paid. Now, the the natural response, the the response that we see so often in in the world in which we live is is to kind of steal back that which was robbed. We we make others pay. Someone's undermined us at work, in the office, and so we seek to kind of work around to undermine them back, to kind of grab back something that we feel has been lost, to make good the debt. But forgiveness is a posture that says I will absorb the pain. I will cancel the debt. I will take the hit in order that relationships can be repaired. Rather than charging a cost, it looks to absorb it. Now I want to acknowledge that this is, we're in dangerous waters here sort of psychologically and pastorally. We we go around sort of taking a pummeling from people and just sort of absorbing it. How do we do that? What's the sort of the, the mechanism that God has put in place to enable us to release life sacrificially? I think Jesus has given us, if you like, behind the scenes an insight into the Father here. Just bear in mind the outrage of the hearers. Jesus' listeners. It's um, echoed, we see it again in verses 1 and 2. We've looked at this as the context. Pharisees and teachers of the law muttering and grumbling. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There's a sort of grudge and resentment. You can hear it there muttering. And Jesus tells this story of a father, and he gives us a little insight into the heart of the father because. All the while that the son, the younger son was off in a distant country, wild living and then abject poverty. But all the while he was away from the father, absent from the father. What was the father doing? You see, if in his heart the father was thinking, I'll make him pay, I'll make him pay. If all the while in his heart he was picturing the son and clobbering him, clobbering him, clobbering him. And guess what the father would have done when the son comes into view? Out of his heart, he'd have clobbered him. But all the while, the father is kissing the son. He's running to the son in his heart. See, he, he's absorbing the cost in order that he can bless so that when the son comes into view, he runs to him. He throws his arms around him. He kisses him. That's the father in the story. What about us? How can we find it, this this inner energy, this inner capacity to release forgiveness? It's to recognize that it comes from deep within. We ourselves are not able to offer and to grant forgiveness in our own strength. It's the gift of the father through the son to us. It's when we recognize deep in our heart that Whereas the father risked rejection, and risked, as the son comes into view, he risks being robbed yet again, Jesus knew that he was going to face not just rejection, not just a little loss of dignity. Jesus knew he was going to lose his life for us to pay the price. Jesus wasn't robbed of just a little bit of dignity, we sort of, you know, the statute there sort of delicately covering his loin. We know from historical facts they were crucified naked. Uh, but his physical vulnerability wasn't the half of it. as he's, He knows the separation of God on the cross. He's killed, forsaken, despised, rejected. He's alone from God and he goes to that. He leaves heaven. The father runs towards the son. God in Christ leaves the glory and the riches of heaven in order to live our life on earth, in order to face ultimate rejection, ultimate destruction. And he does that to absorb the cost of our sin. And when we recognize that and internalize it, when we allow the spirit of Jesus, that's why it's so vital that we understand ourselves to be spirit-filled, Because we cannot do this in our own strength. It would be dangerous to try. But when we receive the love and forgiveness of God deep in our hearts, we have the energy, we have the capacity, we have the desire to begin to express that release through forgiveness of others. writes in his letter to the Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We owe God so much and God has absorbed that cost, that debt in Jesus. And when Jesus hung on the cross and issued his final words, it is finished. Actually, the, the, the word used is was a kind of like a legal term for a debt being cancelled and completely cancelled. Paid. It's written off. Accomplished. Finished. Signed. It is finished. Every debt cancelled. The whole price paid for you and for me. The call of God on each of our lives is to practice forgiveness by learning what it is to receive the kiss of the Father in our hearts and to practice kissing others in our hearts as well. So that when we see them, or even if we don't, that is the action that will go forth from us. Very briefly, just as I finish one or two practical things, in the art of forgiving, I'm, um, I'm no expert, I'm... Learning. God has graciously given me a family uh, to practice. (laughs) They're long-suffering. They're teaching me a lot. But it means releasing and letting go of certain things. Letting go, firstly, of grudges, of resentment, which are ways in which we seek to express our superiority over others. You've wronged me. I'm in the right. I'm above you. I'm now the judge, if you like. I'll arbitrate, and I'll I'll hold on to this wrong that you've done. I'll hold on to this debt that you owe me. I'll make you pay. And in order to kiss in our hearts, we need to open our hands on that grudge and let go. How do you know if you're holding a grudge against someone, if that you're resentful? Well, one of the ways I recognize in my life when I'm beginning to... It's like a sort of barnacles that begin to attach to a hull. And you begin to think, oh, what's going on here? It's when secretly you hear of their misfortune and rejoice. It's when you want them to fall up or mess up in some way. Yeah, yeah. Then it may not be you inflicting the cost, but there is a cost that they're having to go through. Then you know you haven't released them. There's a grudge. Uh, a few years ago, I was on a Christian weekend, and um, we just had a time, I think we might have in a minute, as Will leads us, just to be still before the Lord, and uh, an older Christian in the faith came, just drew alongside me and said, Tim, I just, is, there, is, there, I wonder, is there something that you're holding on to in your heart? And I wasn't consciously aware, I hadn't sort of been living life consciously aware that I was, but you know, this is this is where it was kind of prophetically and spirit-led, God could see the situation and wanted to release me. And as he said that, I became aware that there was a a person that I held a huge grudge against because of something they'd done to someone I love. And I realized that this thing had become, it it, it had actually come to grip me in my subconscious and in my spirit. It was inhibiting my life, although I wasn't consciously aware of that, not, not fully aware of the extent of it. But it became so real as the Spirit revealed that to me. I, I, I sort of, I'm free to confess this because Christ has dealt with this. But I, I, I mean, to give you an indication into the blackness of my heart, I, I, I was picturing myself doing significant acts of violence to this person um, in, in a sort of rather grotesque way. That I had a pair of really pointed shoes on, and I was kicking him hard in his groin. not a not a pretty picture not a pretty sight but that that this is what had happened spired in my spirit and i was holding on to that and as this brother prayed and uh, encouraged me just took me through some steps to release him to let go of that grudge it's extraordinary i can only say Im- immediately that the freedom and the love of christ coming in and cleaning me out actually so that i was able to release that guy i've never met that guy i very much doubt i will ever meet him but if i do it's the practice of kissing him in my heart so that when i do i won't kick him i will kiss him well metaphorically releases me i don't, I don't know his state I, I, don't, I don't know whether i'll ever meet him i don't know what his state is in all i can testify is that my state has been released i'm free to grow so letting go of grudges. Resisting caricatures. Do you do this? I, d- I find I can do this so easily. Someone, um, someone lies. Someone tells a lie about you. And they, they rob you in that way. And um, it was just a little, it was a lie. It was just, it, was, no it wasn't right. It was a wrong. It was a debt. But we, we take that and we say, well, they are a huge liar. They cannot speak the truth at all. Everything they say is an utter distortion. And they're ugly as well. It just gets worse and worse. And you think, you know, the question is, do you ever lie? Do I ever lie? Why? No, no, I'm I'm economical with the truth. And there are extenuating circumstances you don't understand. So we we have this kind of two-dimensional cartoon character for them. But for us, no, we're kind of three-dimensional. You know, we're complex human beings. You don't understand. And if there are caricatures of individuals that we hold, there's probably a resentment. There's probably something unresolved. And we need to bring that to the Lord and ask the Lord to show us how he sees them and what he has done for them. He's paid the price for them and for us. Walk in freedom and forgiveness. Finally, letting go of liabilities. It's hard to forgive a debt of 100 pounds if you own It's relatively straightforward to forgive a debt of a hundred pounds if you are a millionaire. And Paul writes to us in, uh, well he writes to the church in Ephesus and we receive it by the Spirit. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ. We are spiritual millionaires, trillionaires. We have all the blessing and the riches of heaven in Christ. And when we recognize what we have in Christ because of the debt that he's paid for us. It becomes that much easier to let go of liability. To release people whatever debt they may owe us. We've been given so much more. And as we reflect on that and live in that. We're able to be proactive in our forgiveness. To be sacrificial. Because we recognize the sacrifice that was paid for us. In order that we might release life. Life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Well, as, um, as Jamie and the, the band come up to um, get ready to lead us in our last hymn, I'm just going to spend a moment just to um, invite God to work in our hearts. Tim was saying that we can't exercise this kind of forgiveness without the Spirit of God at work within us. And in fact, it's, th- it's a dangerous thing to try. Talked about it um, in terms of a two stage journey of receiving the forgiveness of God uh, before we forgive others. And I want to encourage us today, I think, that uh, on a day when we remember um, so much the, f- the sacrifice that others have made on our behalf, in order that we might live fully, in order that we might live the kind of lives that are possible, in order that we might have freedom. And um, as we were praying before the service, I was just led to this verse from Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And the challenge to us today is to embrace freedom and not to settle for something that is less than the full life that God is giving us. And as we um, struggle with, ha- with the need to forgive other people, um, we recognize that we, we, won't we will not live a full life in the freedom that is possible unless we can let go. So let's just pray just as um, and after I've prayed this, the band will lead us in our final hymn. Lord God, thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you send us your Holy Spirit. To work in our hearts. Calling us children of God. Letting us know the Father's embrace. Royal robes around our shoulders and a, a ring on our finger. Lord, we receive your forgiveness and welcome today. We receive your Holy Spirit. In our hearts. Sorry where we have held. Grudges. And debts against other people caricaturing them. In a two two dimensional way. Please help us to release. Forgiveness towards them. We release them now. Please help us to live in freedom and in the life that you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to stand and, and sing our final hymn. During this hymn, an offering will be taken. If you're a visitor amongst us, do feel free just to pass that bag on past you. This is really for the, the family of the, the church here, the, um, the regular attenders. So please do stand and uh, we'll sing our final hymn.